0: you had the chance would you change the world?
1: Welcome I am your host Ebony Gustav and this is Cooperative Journal where I interview mutual aid initiatives and cooperatives from around the world who are creating alternatives to our current economic system. Oxbow Design Build is a recently converted, worker-owned design and construction cooperative based in East Hampton, Massachusetts. They practice holistic design and building while creating custom furniture, developing new structures, and renovating. Beyond their impeccable designs and attention to detail, they also pride themselves in supporting local businesses, ethical sourcing, and eco-friendly designs. In this episode, I speak with member owner and project manager Carl Woodruff, about their transition to a worker cooperative, what it means to be a holistic design and build company, peer-to-peer networking, collaboration with other co-ops, some of their past and future projects, and how we can design to be in alignment with community and environmental needs. Hello, Carl. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so grateful that you reached out to me to tell the stories of some of the worker co-ops that you're connected with and the importance of collaboration between co-ops. I know the Cooperative Support Network was instrumental to the development of Oxbow Design Build Co-op. So can you please start off by sharing an overview about Oxbow Design and the inspiration behind its development?
0: Definitely. Thank you for that. Thank you for having me. when we started Oxbow, we we actually knew from the outset that we wanted to be a worker co-op. Uh, we didn't know exactly what that was going to take, and so we really got off the ground with a couple of big projects that you know really got us started building, and then started figuring out how to run as a worker co-op after the fact. And um, you know, I think that. That process uh, really informed how much um, the support from VOC and from other partners in our conversion really helped us out because by the time we were converting, we already had a lot happening, we already had a lot in the works. Um, I think that you know, in terms of why we were really interested in being a worker co-op. Um the inspiration was there. It was really just that we were each individually coming from work experiences where we felt like we were, as employees, distanced from the work that we were doing and didn't really feel like we had the sense of ownership and um, participation that we really wanted to have. And so... Creating that environment was really important to us, both for ourselves personally and for all of the people who would work with us.
1: Nice. Well, can you speak a bit about the work that Oxbow Design Build does and the project that really launched you guys?
0: Yeah. So the project that launched us was very unique. I doubt we'll do one like it again. It was a indoor hydroponic park. It was a very experimental project. Uh, the, uh, without getting into it too much, there was a lot of different components that we had to be thinking about. So there was both the construction of the physical space. So just creating a space that was inviting and well-built and was set up for the programming that would take place there. And then there was also this really pretty involved component of designing hydroponic systems that would operate within the space and both be effective to grow produce and other types of plants, but also really contribute to making the space interesting and enjoyable. Um, the fact that all of that happened to be taking place in an old mill building that was being repurposed uh, really added another layer of trying to um, respect and bring in the history that that type of architecture has in general, and to the town that we're in in particular. So it was a very ambitious project for us. Uh, we certainly didn't think that we would have started off with such a large or involved project, but it really, I think, in a lot of ways, set the tone for how the company developed because we we do a lot of different things now. We we do residential design and construction. We do commercial design and construction. We work on houses and restaurants and dispensaries and other types of commercial spaces. But we also do a lot of um, shop work and systems work. And so we uh, I think where we really excel is where we have the opportunity to design a space, both from the broad strokes of building the structure and you know the roof and the walls, and also into the real details of what sort of programming is going to be happening in that space and how we can build millwork and cabinetry and furniture and different types of fixtures that really make that space perform well. So I guess uh, in short, we do we do a little bit of everything at this point.
1: That indoor hydroponic park reminds me of something that they're trying to do in new york called the low line they did a pilot version of it and it basically was an underground indoor park but it didn't focus on um, producing food so i think that this initiative that you guys did is really unique especially it being in an old mill building but with the low line eventually they plan on turning an abandoned subway into um, an underground park, which maybe could evolve into some type of uh, food production project. Not sure how sanitary that would be, but that reminded me of it. The projects that you work on and the process that you go through uh, in terms of programming and um, the materials that you use are all very intentional. Um, And I think that speaks to how you guys have defined yourself, which is as a holistic design build company. Can you please explain what that means to Oxbow?
0: Yeah. So it's, you know, what, what it means to us is really that we, we will work to one degree or another on everything that's required to bring the project to completion. So, you know, a lot of, builders or designers will really focus on one particular specialty and they'll really fill one niche and and, you know people can do that very well and that's a model that works well in its own right but something that we've found is that a lot of times that leaves the client without enough direction to really bring together what they want uh, because they'll work with you know one contractor or one designer who will really help them flush out one part of the project, but then there'll be some other whole piece of it that they aren't involved in and the client has to do a bit of work on their own to sort of figure out how to bring that all together. So even in the cases where it's not necessarily profitable or maybe not always even the most efficient, uh, we really feel like at least making ourselves available to work through the entire process uh, helps us help clients really produce what it is they want to produce in the end and not leave anything out. And it's also exciting for us because it we get to do something different every day.
1: Yeah. And you guys get to de- develop it from its foundation and really um, get to be a part of all of the moving pieces so that the overall design that Oxbow and the client wants, ends up being, um, I guess, uh, more coherent instead of sourcing ideas from different places. Um, And speaking of sourcing, you guys are also very intentional about where you get your materials from. Um, So can you explain uh, your collaboration with the local economy and where you get your materials?
0: Yeah, so that's something that's been very important to us from the beginning is trying to source materials that are both environmentally responsible and uh, economically uh, resilient, which is to say that we're, we're not trying to use materials that are going to have a significant negative impact on the environment. And also, we're not trying to use materials that aren't supporting a, a resilient local economy. Um, So if we're buying materials that are shipped in from far away, where all the processing is happening somewhere else, we don't feel like we're really doing our part to, you know, keep the the local businesses and individuals that are closest to our community well supported. And and one interesting example of that for us is um, since COVID started, uh, building material prices have really gone through the roof and Lumber, in particular, has more than doubled in our area. And that actually provided us a really good opportunity where we, we had to adapt and find another way to keep building affordably because um, that's always a balance. And, and so we've connected this year with a local sawyer. Uh, it's just a, a single-person business. They, they're a pig farmer, and they also go out into conservation areas where they have contracts to do low impact forestry work. They do their work with a team of horses so that they're not bringing in heavy equipment that you know is gonna damage the forest unnecessarily and they're very selective in the trees that they're removing. They have a comprehensive forestry management plan that they submit to the state for approval. And it's all it's a very thorough process and it's one that we feel very close to. You know, it's at any point we can drive 15 miles over to the next town and see the trees getting pulled out of the forest or we can stop by the pig farm and see the boards being milled and it, it is really we feel like it's really kind of the best we can do in terms of lumber and minimizing environmental and uh, and economic impact um negative impact i should say uh and also it feels just really special for us and for our clients to know that these are materials that came from, you know, really kind of right around the corner and they were harvested in a sustainable way. And the parties involved are all being paid fair wages. And, um, so that, you know, that priority of really making sure that our materials reflect our values is something that we feel very strongly about. And, Um, feel very fortunate to be in an area that supports uh, those priorities as well
1: that's awesome I love that you guys are um, supporting a very tiny business too so you can get essentially lower prices because he knows that you guys are like a solid partner and you'll keep coming back Um, and I think it also speaks to um, the transparency that people usually um, gravitate towards cooperatives for. Um, and it's transparent in where you're getting your sourcing from and that the clients that you work with know the whole process. Um, and so to speak to transparency and um why people transition to a worker co-op model. I'm curious to know what was the reason behind Oxbow's transition?
0: Yeah, we, we felt like we really want to have a business that has multiple bottom lines. You know, we, you know, of course, we're all making a living doing this and, and we're seeking to be at least somewhat profitable in our endeavors. So we don't uh, become totally insolvent, but at the same time, we, we feel like there's so much more to strive for in in a business or when you're participating in a local economy. Um, and so we, you know, we were looking for a model that we felt like really reflected that explicitly and, you know, any business, any type of business with any type of structure can choose to prioritize, uh, you know, externalities such as, the environment or fair labor or social equity and, you know those are choices that any company has to a certain extent um, but you know choosing to incorporate as a worker co-op it it makes it so that it's not a choice for us you know we are our, our bylaws and the corporate structure that we operate in in massachusetts it requires that we provide a path to ownership to all workers and and that, Requires that that path be transparent and equitable, and um, we feel like that's really important because, you know, today we all feel like these are our priorities and we have the resources and the position and the privilege to be able to really put those priorities first. And that might not always be the case. Um, um, you know, we never really know what the future might hold, and we've seen plenty of examples of different types of uh, really worker-centric businesses that were really successful for a long time and then ended up um, being sold to private equity firms or uh, being dissolved so that the the current members could essentially get a, a payout. And that was able to happen because those corporate structures weren't well set up. Um, And so it really relied on the continued sort of goodwill of the founders and then the the members that carried that on. So, you know, we think it's really important to not just all come together today and tomorrow and next week and say, you know, these are our priorities and this is what we're going to do, but to really cement it in a structure that makes it so that that's not just what we want to do, but it's what the company has to do. It's the way the company has to run.
1: Yeah, I think it's really important to um, have those shared values solidified um, so that when you when you are profitable, the I guess the founders wouldn't want to sell out because the founders are also the workers and the owners, um, so they have more of a stake within the business. Can you explain what was most challenging about your transition to being a worker co-op?
0: Yeah, I think the most challenging piece for us is, uh, in our specific situation, is that we didn't we didn't start off as a worker co-op on day one. Uh, we had the, uh, as it turns out, misguided impression that it would be easier for us to just put together an LLC you know, get a shop space, buy some tools, hire some people, get the work happening, have some revenue, and then once we felt like there was a functioning business model, then transition it. And I think in in hindsight, that really set us back and made it a lot more challenging because, um, and it seems so clear now looking back, but uh, you know, any business just about when it's starting up, it's gonna have a difficult couple of first years. And, uh, you know, it's very reasonable to expect that in those first few years, uh, everybody who has stake in the company is not necessarily going to be getting the wage that they would like to be getting or that the industry would typically support. And that, you know, there are going to be hard decisions that need to be made and, extra work that needs to go in on nights and weekends to get everything off the ground. And because we didn't have that cooperative structure from the beginning, when we got through that process, the first two years or so that were really difficult and you know, it was a lot, of, a lot of long days and a lot of small paychecks. And uh, when we got through that and then we were ready to move forward with the transition, we were left with this really sticky question of how to, you know, really kind of appropriately value that initial work that went in, uh, and not just for us as the founders, but also for people who, you know, were employees with us just about from day one and are now also owners. And so we had to, you know, we took we took some models that were out there. As terms of bylaws and transition structures, Uh, we had some really good resources for that. And then we had to find some ways to adapt that. And, uh, you know, as a for instance, with the member buy ins, um, the member shares, we came up with a structure that um, essentially retroactively uh, rewarded the employees that had started with us when we were just an LLC, and now we're transitioning to a co op. to reduce their their buy-in share and acknowledge the fact that, you know, they also were with us in those first couple of years when things were difficult and it wasn't as comfortable and, uh, and trying to work through that piece was really challenging. And, you know, we realized that kind of the soonest we could get to a place where everybody had, you know, relatively equal stake, the easier it was going to be moving forward. And so I think looking back We should have just started day one as a co-op. That would have been the way to do it. But we got through it in the end.
1: I think that's um, an interesting model to use is, uh, I guess, transferring sweat equity to a lower amount in member shares. That's really interesting. And to support you in your transition, you guys had access to uh, the Valley Alliance of Worker Co-ops. Um, can you explain what kind of support they gave you and maybe some other support that you've received from cooperatives?
0: Yeah, I think there were really two kind of primary methods of support that we received. The, the first and sort of the most obvious, I think, was just the technical support and the real specifics, like, you know, being, uh, you know, VOC provided us with a, Boilerplate for bylaws and for our articles of incorporation, um, in addition to later in our process, um, membership agreements, and, you know, other types of documents and forms that would have taken us a long time to figure out on our own and would have cost a lot because we would have had to have those drafted and reviewed by lawyers and consulted with accountants and you know. Probably would have spent ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars just getting that all structured really well. So, you know, that support was really clear and obvious. And along with that, the uh, the personnel support, uh, in in particular, with Adam, the our executive director of Buck, uh, you know, his. Him coming to meetings, sitting in our company meetings, coming to private meetings with just the founders, private meetings with just the members or the incoming members, uh, being available to answer calls and emails and connect us with the right resources. You know, That level of technical support was, was really invaluable. And then the other type of support that I think was a lot less tangible and, and I think for us a lot less apparent until we were... And kind of all the way through the process was um, just being connected with other cooperatives and uh, being connected regularly with other cooperatives and seeing, um, you know, especially the the longer running cooperatives like uh, like Pedal People and like the Spinnery and uh, like Collective Copies. You know, these were these are co-ops that have been around for a while. They have had a lot of membership they've been through challenges they've been through successes and it felt like we and continues to feel like we have access to this community where we're not alone when we're trying to figure these things out and when a problem comes up you know maybe we've already heard that that was a problem because somebody else went through it and so we know that we can reach out to them and and I think what that gave us in the end was, you know, it gave us a lot of answers to questions that we didn't know to ask because, you know, you don't, there's so much that's unforeseen and until you've lived it and worked through it, a lot of times you just don't even know to expect it until you're right in the middle of it and and trying to figure it out. So, um, you know, I think that that sort of community support made us, both feel like we had resources and also just introduced us to a lot of answers before before the questions came up, which turned out to be very helpful and I think is gonna help us, you know, again and again as we move forward.
1: Great that you were able to get these resources all in one place from the Valley Alliance of Worker Co-ops in terms of documentation and tech support and like one-on-one consultation. I think that's really important to the peer-to-peer movement is having some sort of like best practices documentation. That's something that we were talking a lot about during the P2P meeting today and figuring out what are those things that transitioning businesses need or startup co-ops need and having some type of toolkit or something for people to reference, I think would be really important. And of course, having that camaraderie amongst other co-ops, knowing that you're not alone in creating something that's so distinct to our current system and workshopping together, because what better way to learn than from people that have experienced it and have had the challenges, like you've said. Can you share what intercorporation is and what that looks like for Oxbow?
0: Yeah, I think what first comes to mind for me when I think about inter is really acknowledging and engaging in uh, a larger economy. And it's, you know, I think it's easy to uh, especially when there's a lot of work to be done. Um, you've got a lot of projects. It's, it's easy to feel kind of insulated and like, Oh, we're just, we're this company and this is what we do. And this is what works for us. And this is what we're working with. And I think the, the, you know, the reality there is even when you have a really direct connection with somebody like we do with our Sawyer, you know, this, this one man show, kind uh, of out in the Hills, um, it's all tied into a larger economy. And, you know, we're all benefiting from all types of resources, um, you know, the infrastructure that enables us to work effectively. And um, the, you know, what we're, we're working in an industry where um, expectations for cost and expectations for types of services are really informed by what other companies are doing. And so even if we're not, you know, working directly at all with, you know, a design build company over on the other side of the state, the work that we do and the work that they do very much influence each other. And so, you know, I think that that's a reality, whether we acknowledge it or not. And what inner cooperation really means to me is, is acknowledging that and being deliberate and thinking about, okay, how, how is our company affecting your company and how is your company affecting our community and how can we work deliberately and thoughtfully and holistically to make sure that the work that we're all doing works well together and that we're not working against each other and we're not missing opportunities to, you know, really make the most of our collective resources. Uh, So, you know, uh, and that's, that's a lot of vague description. Uh, but I think that it really, that is what comes to mind for me is that there's, we're just, we're very connected to, uh, you know, especially our local and regional businesses that are also in the area. Um, uh, and we, we need to recognize that and we need to support that connection. Um, and I think that in doing so, you know, it's we can encourage that that rising tide and uh you know really bring everybody up together
1: yeah absolutely i think that speaks to creating a shift from competition to inter cooperation um and especially when it comes to inter cooperation outside of just your immediate local economy because Essentially, we all should be working towards something that is benefiting the greater whole, that's benefiting our environment and um, community members. So again, sharing best practices with each other on how we can develop our own, our develop our businesses that are supportive um, to our own locales, I think is really important. And so, when I think of intercooperation, I also think of um, cooperation between co-ops. So can you share how Oxbow has worked with other co-ops?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and also just before moving on, I, I definitely appreciate that you bring up that um, really important point of not just being involved in our local communities and our uh you know our regional communities, but being involved in a broader community because I do think that is very important, and and especially as we seek intercooperation locally, we make sure that we're not creating an insulated um, you know, bubble that isn't connected to broader communities and global communities. You know, so thank you for for bringing that up. Uh, you know, as far as our specific uh, work with other co-ops. what what immediately comes to mind at the moment is um, we've had the opportunity to embark on a really exciting cooperative project with the compost co-op up in Greenfield and uh, collectively we have purchased a uh, house that is in need of substantial repairs and we're going to do a a deep renovation on that and uh, that house is going to provide affordable housing for compost co-op workers and hopefully serve as a model for a type of affordable housing that we can replicate again and again um, so that's been a really exciting project and um, and it you know beyond just the sort of specific work that that is entailing in terms of creating this affordable housing for you know, these the specific community, um it's also been really encouraging because it's been connecting and reconnecting us with a lot of uh you know a lot of local individuals and and companies and so you know we've um we've been reaching out to city councilors and other community organizers who've been very supportive and have been helping connect us with other efforts Uh, we've also been reaching out to other worker co-ops like the spinnery that's just over over the state line in Vermont, uh, and they've offered their support of the project with volunteer labor. Uh, and I think that it's really turned into this project where you know we we don't feel like we're doing it alone. We don't even feel like it's just us and Compost Co-op. It feels like it's us and Compost Co-op and the Spinery and all these local community members, uh, and it's. Uh, it's very inspiring. It feels It feels very encouraging for what future opportunities there are. Uh, and we're, we're looking at a few that I won't get into too much at this point, but it's definitely been sparking a lot of other ideas that I think are uh, going to be developing soon.
1: Yeah, I was really excited at the end of last year to see um, the year in review of the compost co-op and to know that they reached their goal at the end of the year to um, hone in on a property and that's actually when I first found out about Oxbow and I think it's really beautiful that you guys are creating an affordable housing model using the same principles that you use with um other projects that you work on in terms of locally sourcing materials and making sure they're sustainably viable, because I feel like those things have also become very elitist, um, and it's not necessarily connected to the affordable housing network. So I'm really excited to see what you guys end up designing for them and that you have this whole um, local support network of volunteers that are also supporting the initiative. And why is it so important for you guys to collaborate with co-ops?
0: Well, to use this same project as an example, you know, we at Oxbow, we're really passionate about affordable housing. Uh, You know, as creators, we get really caught up in you know, designing things that are beautiful and ambitious and, um, you know, are a little less grounded in uh, what's financially possible and responsible. Um, And at the same time, you know, we we try to keep ourselves grounded and and have some balance there. And uh, so affordable housing is something that we've really been looking for opportunities to uh, engage in supporting more directly and being really effective in doing that. And at various times we've thought, you know, okay, well, we could, you know, learn about how to do management of these properties and we could, uh, you know, kind of develop another department within Oxbow that is focusing on this work and helping us support that. And, and after exploring that for a while, just really realizing that that's, that's just not what we're good at. You know, we're, we're designers and we're builders and we're good at that and, you know, we're okay at other things too, but, um, we, we can't do it all and we shouldn't try to do it all. Um, so, you know, I think connecting with another organization and, you know, some of the specific individuals like, like Trenda, who has been very inspiring and, um, in the direction that she's really taking us, um, Connecting with people who we feel like we can work with, who have uh, the capacity and the skills and the determination to figure out these other pieces um, so that we can rely on them to do that part and we can keep doing what we do well. Um, I think that that's really, you know, sort of at the heart of um, why that really direct inner cooperation is so important is because, you know, I think that none of us are gonna be able to accomplish our more ambitious projects uh, if we're trying to do every piece of it ourselves. You know, we, we find the things that we're passionate about, we find the things that, that we are good at and that we have good opportunities for, and then we find people who we can partner with who those those skills and those ambitions. And that really feels like where we're at right now with Compost Co-op, and and that's exciting.
1: That's really exciting. And I'm sure it will be a replicated model um, in other parts of the country and the world, hopefully. I'm curious to know if you guys have um, any experience working with housing developers, um, for sustainable and affordable housing units?
0: We have a little bit of experience with it. And, um, uh, and to be honest, the, the models that we've been connected with directly, we feel like don't, um, don't really do enough. Uh, and so that's part of why we feel like we haven't, um, haven't really gotten off the ground Uh, yet before this project Um, as you know you brought this up just a few minutes ago you know there is this real access issue that's imposed on um, sustainable building and there is this uh, there's this expectation that has been created that you can't build sustainably and you can't build um, you know with with good resilient design and still have it be affordable it it's you know been commodified like so many other things and you know a certain amount of that i think is based in reality like there unfortunately are cheaper alternatives to most materials that um, that aren't going to hold up as long and they aren't as sustainably sourced but uh, a lot of that i think is really just contrived because uh, You know, it's, you build a house with cheap materials that weren't well sourced and there's a very good chance that that house is gonna require a lot of maintenance and isn't going to last very long and is not gonna be as enjoyable and supportive to the people that are living there. And if you can, you know, come up with the model that um, puts people in ownership of those houses that are built sustainably and are built with resilient design, the the finances are actually really clear that over time, uh, it's it is more affordable, and so you know it, it really feels like this, you know, artificially constructed barrier, um, and you know I, I'm certainly not the first person to say that. Um, I think that that's very clear to anybody that's really paying attention, um, and. Fortunately, I think we're, you know, at least in our area, we're starting to move in a direction where there are alternative options, and people are recognizing that there's a real access issue, and real resources are starting to go towards breaking down that access issue, and um, so I'm I'm hopeful that uh, we'll be able to, you know, in partnership with uh, with others that we'll be able to help develop that model that um, ultimately doesn't need to cost more. In fact, if anything, you know, people can save money and have a nicer house and that house can be built from the groovy lumber that came from the sustainable forestry project. Um, It doesn't have to be a choice.
1: Yes, I hope that in the future, near future, that that will be the status quo and I and it reminds me of goods that we buy like our basic needs in terms of clothing and food that initial investment of paying more might seem like oh why should I invest more I can get something cheaper elsewhere but is it actually is the quality better is it going to last as long um is it going to fulfill our needs in it's in the most optimal way. Um, so yeah, I think just shifting that perspective for people that this initial investment might cost more, but in the long run, it's more beneficial. So what other projects are you guys currently working on other than the collaboration with the compost co-op?
0: We're working on, I would say maybe 15 or 20 20- different design projects at the moment of various scales from small remodels to uh, larger new construction. Uh, And uh, this year has actually been very busy with design for us. Uh, I don't know if it's just because everybody's been cooped up at home and it's given them an opportunity to think about all the things they want. but uh, yeah, we've been very busy with design, and then and additionally, in additional, um, we're in the process of constructing uh, a new home, and we're also actually building um, the millwork for a food co-op that is opening in, in East Hampton. Um, that's uh, part of the food co-op from Northampton. It's going to be a second location for them. Um, that's actually been another, another uh, interesting point in of cooperation for us. We have been excited to work with them, and um, we're providing some discounts on our services to them as as a fellow co-op. And we're in conversation with them about uh, ways that we can work together to support the community here. Uh, so we've actually, uh, you know, we we definitely had some rough patches this year. Um, as, as did most people. Um, but at the moment we're, uh, we've managed to get busy again.
1: Wow. That seems like a lot of work for a core team of three people. I know you have some other people on your team as well though, right?
0: Yeah. So actually at this point, um, and, uh, our website is sadly outdated, but, um, uh, at this point there are six owners, um, so three uh, people who were previously employees of Oxbow LLC are now um, fellow member owners of Oxbow Co-op. Uh, so there's the six of us and then we have three other employees at the moment who uh, are all on various tracks towards ownership as well. Uh, and then we're actually looking to hire probably for at least two more positions in the near future to keep up with some demand.
1: Well, I'm so happy that business has been going well for you guys in the past year because can't say the same for a lot of businesses. So I'd like to wrap this up by knowing how you envision a changed world through the lens of design.
0: Wow um i'll try to keep my answer shorter than it might end up being otherwise um (laughs) uh, you know i guess the the most important piece that comes to mind for me is um is environmentally conscious design it's really uh you know there are so many people saying it and we're still not as you know as a country or as a world moving in the direction towards combating climate change in a really meaningful way and uh, I think a lot of people don't realize how substantial um, home construction is and that and you know especially when we talk about materials like Portland cement um, you know it's just just about the worst material you could participate in environmentally and and unfortunately um, you know for a lot of Parts of the world there aren't very many alternatives uh, and that's again that's uh, something that's been constructed um, by the uh, you know companies selling cement this isn't an issue that has natural barriers that we can't overcome so I think you know really looking at a building typology that relies on renewable materials, renewable energies um, there's no reason why as communities we shouldn't be moving towards Uh, you know, carbon neutral, or even, um, uh, you know, carbon negative communities. Um, So I think that, you know, design has two very important roles in that, one is the, you know, the real technical aspect of figuring out the technologies that enable that, and then the other is uh, selling it to everybody because it's uh, it's not what a lot of people are used to, um, you know, especially the, you know, the older generations coming out of the uh, era of vinyl siding and asphalt roofs and coal plants. Um, you know, it's understandably a lot of people just aren't familiar with that typology and Uh, For a lot of people, if you're not familiar with the design, then it doesn't necessarily appeal to you right away. So I think that there's a real um, imperative there for uh, good and socially conscious and environmentally conscious designers to be thinking about, you know, how do we make this something that doesn't just work technically, but also that people are going to buy into in a real way. Um, Yeah, I think that's, that's probably the big one.
1: Yeah, I think education is so important in relation to what you were just talking about and the idea of cooperation in general um, to have people realize that there are these better alternatives that shouldn't even be an alternative, that it should just be what we buy into, I think is really important. So how do we get this knowledge to the average person that sustainable design is not just better for your well-being but also the well-being of the planet so thank you so much carl for sharing all of your knowledge and experiences with me and the listeners i really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me
0: thank you ebony i really appreciate this as well
1: thank you so much for tuning into this episode I'm on a mission to get these little-known solutions out to as many people as possible. So please help me by sharing, leaving a like, and a review. If you would like to stay in the loop about future episodes, please subscribe to the podcast or my newsletter at cooperativejournal.com.
0: Because I didn't say save the world, I said change the world, improve it, make it better than we find it.